0: to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on Seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. That's SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.
1: From Mediator's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Weekend Review presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to steeldealers.com. Now, here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan.
0: $73,000 worth of Maryland blue crabs were recently stolen out of the back of a truck in Philly which uh, makes this the only group of people in Philly actively trying to get crabs. That's just a short intro to this week's episode, ladies and gentlemen, because it is a special edition. If you've been listening to this podcast or following hunting-related news, you know about the controversy surrounding the Washington State Fish and Wildlife Commission. Much of this controversy stems from the commission's decision in 2021 to suspend the spring bear hunt. The commissioners said they couldn't rely on the bear population numbers provided by the Department of Fish and Wildlife, and they felt it was wise to end the hunt until they had a better handle on those numbers. Hunters were, understandably, pretty darn upset. They argue that the bear population was healthy and the small number of bears taken during the spring had little negative impact. They accused the commission of being anti-hunting, and some of the commissioners haven't done much to dissuade them on that notion. Commissioner Melanie Rowland, for example, said that hunters, quote, should be nervous about the changes coming down the pike. We covered her entire statement in episode 226. If you're curious, rather than speculate on what the commissioners believe about hunting and wildlife management, I wanted to get the straight skinny from the horse's mouth, so to speak. Thanks to one of you who sent in some contact info, we were able to get in touch with Commissioner John Lemkeul. John agreed to speak with us, and I'm grateful that he did. We didn't agree on everything, but he was at least willing to engage, which I can't say about some of his colleagues. Several, including Melanie Rowland, declined our invitation before we got in touch with John. We covered tons of topics, including the spring bear hunt, how to manage non-game species, and whether the commission plans to limit hunting opportunities in the future. If you've been wondering what the heck is going on in Washington State, this isn't an episode you're going to want to miss. So, John, yeah, thank you very much for joining us today. As we briefly mentioned prior to this, we've had a lot of listener feedback regarding uh, Washington fishing Game, uh, the Fish and Game Commission policy regulation changes, or frankly, a lot of speculative guesses as to what... Uh, policy changes or regulation changes are going to be coming in the near future, so uh, yeah. thank you very much for uh, joining us to shine some light on what is going on if you'd like to just kind of give us a background and and um, certainly what seat you sit in on the committee or maybe subcommittees that that you were a part of would would certainly be uh, appreciated too.
2: Yeah, great. Thanks. I uh, appreciate the opportunity to talk to you guys. I think one of my issues—I've been on the commission for a year and three quarters or so. January last year I started. Yeah, and I—I I get people calling me all the time saying, "Well, can we talk about stuff?" And but I—I I haven't in the past gotten a lot of, in, except for the last several months, getting a lot of calls from the hunters and so let's talk about stuff. So I, I really, you know, I want to—I want to. I wanna, talk to all you guys and try and understand where you're at and explain where we're at. Just a little bit myself, you know, I since shoot, I've been crazy about wildlife and hunting since I was a kid. You know, I think I had a subscription to outdoor life when I was 12 or something like that, you know? So, um, I decided I wanted to be a wildlife biologist. And so I went to school wildlife biology and studied at Humboldt state in California and university of Montana, where I studied elk for a master's degree. And, I got a PhD in forest science and wildlife from the University of Washington. Um, I studied mostly sort of grassland ecology and large herbivores and then I worked for the Forest Service for, I had a career with the Forest Service for about 30 years um, as a wildlife, mostly as a a research scientist and mostly in Wenatchee here in central Washington. Um, Studied mostly forest management and the impact on wildlife. And a lot of that had to do with forest restoration and spotted around spotted owls and spotted owl prey. But we had studies on birds and small mammals and I participated with the department here on an elk study. I did a lot of landscape scale analyses and those kinds of things. And I retired in 2013 and did a lot of other voluntary things and somebody suggested I apply to be on the commission. I thought, yeah, that'd be interesting. Um, I thought I had something to contribute because um I like I said, I've hunted, and uh, i been a wildlife biologist, so here I am. what um, I, I speaking off
0: off uh, my perspective here that I certainly appreciate the background and um, the diversity of the of the background, all very consistent topics here on the the week in review. So Do you have a highlight of your hunting career or or an example of your your hunting background?
2: Oh, yeah. I've hunted in, um, oh, California, Montana, New Mexico, Washington here since I lived here. Um, These days, probably the last, uh, I don't know, 15, 20 years or something, I mainly do bird hunting. You know, pheasants, chuckers, quail kind of gotten out of deer hunting. I used to hunt deer and elk in Montana when I lived there in New Mexico. So that's sort of my focus. I probably, you know, I have a pretty much have a license, fishing and hunting license every year. And um, sometimes I go turkey hunting, sometimes I don't, but I usually have the license anyway. And um, so that's sort of my background and for, for hunting. So I'm, you know, I'm very keen on hunting and um, I, under, I think I understand hunters and, and fishermen. And from my Forest Service work, I think I sort of understand the other side of the coin, the people that aren't hunters and fishermen and what they're, where they're coming from. And I kind of look at myself as sort of in the middle, hopefully a centrist, sort of a person who can see both sides of the issues and help broker some conversation between both sides of the issue so that we can all sort of work together. This will lead us into the topic that uh, certainly our listeners have
0: written in the most about which is why be a centrist on a fish and game commission at the end of the day who cares what that other side that isn't buying uh fishing and hunting licenses cares about the hunters and anglers are the the vested interest when it comes to a fish and game commission um yeah. so can you expand on on why you think it's important to be a, a centrist?
2: Yeah, I think it's important because, you know, our our mandate in the law is to, um, and I can sort of paraphrase what it says, is that these are the words, uh, something like uh, protect, preserve, enhance and manage wildlife, fish and wildlife in the state. So it's not And at the same time, maximizing or creating opportunity for people to hunt and fish and to recreate, bird watch, and all kinds of things. So we have a very broad mandate. Uh, It's not just all about hunting. And in fact, many states differ in how they fund uh, fish and wildlife departments like this, or fish and game departments, as they call them in some states. Some states like Arizona, their funding is, is solely on hunting and fishing licenses and revenues and excise tax, you know, Pittman Robertson on, on, on firearms. But in Washington state, because we have such a broad mandate, probably about uh, 70% of our funding comes from the state legislature, from state taxes, and 30% comes from hunting and fishing revenues, license sales, Pittman Robertson, Dingle Johnson for fishing. So, you know, we have a, a very broad, source of funding for what we do and a lot of what we do is is um, directed by the legislature of how we can spend our money in in some cases and just for example we got um, in the last legislative session in washington we got about 30 million dollars of new funding for biodiversity conservation we have a state wildlife action plan every state has a state wildlife action plan it's sort of a federal program And we have like 256 uh, species of conservation concern. And these are things like uh, spotted owls, burrowing owls, martin fisher lynx, things like that. Non-hunted species, salamanders, butterflies, all kinds of things. So those are the things that we have to look after. And so it's not just a question of, you know, who pays the most and who gets the most attention. Uh, I think from my point of view, um and i think probably this commission as well you know hunters and fishermen are important constituency you know for our department and i i don't see any time in the future where we're hunting and fishing is not going to be available in washington state and i think i i i read the comments and I, we hear comments at all the commission meetings we have public input sessions And just last week we had one and my comment was, well, you know, in Washington state, since I've been on the commission, the hunting seasons, except for this spring bear issue, we can put that off to the side, the hunting seasons haven't changed. The deer and elk seasons, small game, uh, fall bear, cougar hunting, everything has basically been unchanged from previous years, except for small minor changes that depend on You know how the deer population is doing in different areas and so you know we haven't reduced the the hunting and fishing opportunity in the state except for the spring bear thing and so I, i don't see that happening and we we get accused of not following the science of our staff well in fact we approve all those hunting and fishing seasons that are based on the scientific work that they're doing so i think we do follow the science so i i think um a lot of people, the spring bear issue was something that um i mean gosh, it was discussed by the commission even before I got on it and so right. it was- you said
0: you uh joined in January, and I know your op ed that's that's referenced uh quite often yeah, came out in february, so you were you were uh jumped right into the spring bear debate or yeah. uh, However, you want to put it, but would you like to expand on on that a little bit?
2: Well, my yeah, my op-ed came out in February this year. You know, the debate started in actually at the end of 2021 before I got on the commission. And what I tried to do, I mean, it was a very difficult process. Um, and what I tried to do in that op-ed was sort of summarize what I think are the differing positions on on the hunt, and you know how people viewed it and how they how they voted on it. And I, I tried to do that in reference to the North American model of wildlife management because we got a lot of we get a lot of comments about, well, the North American model of wildlife management has been very successful. And so why are you going away from it? You know, we should be hunting and fishing and we can solve all the problems, management problems that you have to deal with. And so I I tried to use that model to to frame that question the spring bear question and I think if you read that you can use the principles in the North American model to come up with either outcome either have the hunt or don't have the hunt so I think it's not so cut and dry the point was it's not so cut and dried uh, of an issue I do think
0: John I apologize for cutting you off there I do think uh, I certainly appreciated your point by point on the North American model in in the op-ed um, and I think like, you know, like a lot of things, certainly not specific to the hunting and fishing world, there's a lot of phrases that get thrown around without uh, any, uh, deeper understanding of what they, they actually mean. And the North American model certainly is, is one of those things. People know that it exists and typically, uh, we like to talk about it when it's serving our our best purposes right i I do understand that. I think uh, my listener base uh, will certainly also uh, understand that um, the science can work for and and against us uh, right. too so the interesting piece of the op ed and this certainly goes into like the Colorado. Uh, example of wolves that's currently going right now and and Colorado in general is this citizens initiative where, you know, in your op-ed, you said the question of whether or not to have a spring bear season was solved by this citizens initiative. By that, I think you mean it was just taken off the table um, from the legislative side of things. And then the, the game commission didn't have to actually make that decision but with your background as a biologist do you think that that is a way to solve things through citizens initiative
2: no i don't i don't think initiatives are a good way to solve any problem whether it's you know a wildlife problem or uh, any magic sort of mushrooms and anything yeah i don't think it's it's the solution because um, I don't think it promotes a you know, good discussion of all the issues and the different parties coming together and trying to come to a solution. So what I've said in relation to these kinds of issues, I said, you know, we need to be able to discuss the issues, look at the pros and cons of all the issues, and come up with some sort of a solution ourselves. Because if, if, we, if we can't do that, then, you know, somebody will come up with an initiative or the legislature will pass a law or some judge will make a ruling that says you can't do this and so it it's basically taken out of our hands and I think initiatives are a very imperfect way of making decisions because you have I think most people that vote on them don't vote based on sort of a reasoned uh, analysis of all the issues they just sort of vote on sort of emotion well yeah it sounds good I don't like bear hunting so I'm going to vote against it they don't think of all the nuances so I think that um, we need to try and come together to figure out how we can come up with solutions or management solutions that that uh, address all of our concerns. You know, so it's like uh, Colorado is an example of the way I read the series is that the issue was that the um, people that were against spring bear hunting and running bears with hounds they approached the wildlife commission and the department saying we think you need to change the seasons or you need to do something different. They had some negotiation, and the non-hunting group says, "Well, we're uh, willing to have a spring bear hunt, but we don't want to hunt bears with hounds or have baiting." And the department and the commission disagreed among themselves, and they couldn't then come to come to an agreement with the um, the non-hunting group. And so the non-hunting group just said, "Okay, you guys can't agree. We can't come to a solution. We're just going to put it on the on the ballot." And um, have an initiative, and it was probably pretty certain that they would win because you know most of the public are not hunting and they don't understand hunting. So that's why I don't think we need uh I don't think the initiatives are a good solution for it. I know yeah, that uh, there's going to be an initiative in Colorado about cougar hunting that's going to be coming up, trying to ban cougar hunting
0: yeah, and the 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 power of uh, a couple of teary-eyed cougar kittens on a billboard is uh typically a lot stronger for the non-hunting public than listening to to people talk about personal experience
2: right right
0: for all you elk hunters out there chasing turkeys is basically the same thing i know the reaction you just gave me but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without on x the Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring.
1: Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition And make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER.
0: We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on Seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Since we have this non-hunting topic, John, what type of vested interest do like the non-hunting uh public hold with the washington game commission uh, we covered the funding side of things so yeah. certainly we can assume they 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 have to be listened to because of of the funding side right but i i guess where i struggle is are they a legitimate user group if they are coming to the commission just as a non-hunting group versus like you know bird watchers uh the Audubon society certainly in my point of view has a, a seat at the table uh yeah. because they do a lot of refuge work and they have shown that they
2: uh, are a committed group for birds right well i think that um yeah i think everybody deserves a seat at the table people who are interested in wildlife if we're talking about you know taxpayer money funding the department, and I think um that the question then becomes a little well, how much say should they have? Is it just uh people that pay have the say or or not, and so then how do you parse out you know who gets the most influence and i I don't know if that's a really useful way of sort of trying to figure out how you make decisions because it's very difficult to say you know I haven't seen any anything that um sort of describes the different con- financial contributions to different user groups to wildlife you know it's sort of like you know wa- wildlife is a public resource it's in the public trust and so we're responsible for managing it for the public so i guess the question then is you know who is the public and so you know this public trust doctrine is the first principle in the north american model of wildlife conservation but the difficulty of that is just as i said you know well does does somebody get more of a say in what how you manage that public trust and i think um in terms of the hunters and fishermen that their contributions and their conti- their past and continuing contributions are certainly going to be recognized and i i just can't foresee hunting and fishing um going away or being reduced substantially there are going to be fights i'm sure there's gonna be fights, you know, just as they're gonna see in Colorado this year about cougar hunting. There's gonna be fights about whether or how much we should be hunting cougars or bears or or even elk and deer for that matter. But I think that's our challenge is to is to figure out what um what is best for the resource for the first, the main thing, and then what addresses the interest of the other of every group. You know, just sort of to sum it up, I I really don't see Changes in the hunting opportunity in Washington State. There may be some changes, be just in terms of our better understanding of wildlife populations or ecology or new pressures that we haven't had in the past in terms of habitat loss and population growth. There's a huge in Washington state anyway, there's a huge recreational impact on wildlife, particularly since COVID. We've had a lot of people deciding that they like to recreate outside. And so um, our wildlife areas, our state wildlife management areas, um some of them have a tremendous amount of pressure, so that has to be managed, but that's become a new sort of user group. So, how do you balance that use and hunting together it's it's, it's you know it's quite a challenge, but i I mean the short of it for the hunters is I don't understand why people are alarmed that you know I hear these uh things that you know Washington is a hot spot of anti hunter activism and that kind of thing and you know sure i think i don't have any real strong data but i don't think there's any any more or any less anti-hunting activism in washington state than there is in other states a survey was done by the national shooting sports foundation which is you know is a firearms industry foundation and of course they support hunting and have found nationally 80 percent of the population supports hunting as a legitimate pursuit and i think a pot a Washington is about the same. I think a survey that the Department did shows about seventy five to eighty percent. So I think there's plenty of support for hunting in the state. Um, it's not like there's going to be an initiative that bans hunting, I don't think, and um, you know, I'm not interested in reducing the opportunities for hunter and fishermen and i don't think um, I don't think it's going to happen next year. You know, the controversy, one of your questions there is about Eliminating cougar and bear hunting and changing the elk uh, hunting to permit only, you know, those were just uh, those. All those rumors came out of a a couple comments that were made a a month or two ago at a wildlife uh, committee meeting as part of the commission about just sort of a general ideas of you know, the the staff now is revising the game management plan, which is done supposedly every five six years they have new data on cougar and bear populations and so there's a question about you know are we going to be changing any management and so then it sort of spun out of control on the on the internet that yeah we're going we're talking about doing that but we we have not in the commission we haven't received any sort of formal presentation of the hunting seasons for next year from the staff so that that was all just sort of conversation of, before we'd even seen anything. So I think, uh, you know, we haven't discussed it. We haven't seen any information from the staff, the science or their recommendations on the seasons. But I don't think, I, I don't know if they're going to change or not, but I, I would be surprised if they do change.
0: Sure, and you know, I've, cause I I actually got uh, drug onto a friend's podcast uh, last year talking about um, Washington spring bear. And I agreed with the management aspect of, hey, we haven't done a formal population study. So we don't actually know what the impacts are of any level of take from a science perspective. However, I think it would be very easy to assume that the anecdotal evidence of, uh, you know, black bear conflict. In certain counties or statewide, even, you could pull a number that says we could probably have this much of a hunt. An assumption that I find non hunters make all the time is that a tag does not represent an opportunity to legally hunt, but a tag represents a dead animal. I have a literal pillowcase full of tags that do not represent dead animals from my hunting career in my, in my basement right now that I just kind of keep as a reminder of that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it is very alarming when you have, let's call it a centrist perspective in the hunting crowd that says, Oh yeah, science dictates our management. And then we play, we as hunters play a role in that management but there wasn't a need to say we went from a spring hunt to no hunt at all because we have a history of once we lose something, it doesn't come back. And plenty of examples of that. So I think, you know, that was a legitimate cause for alarm slash is a legitimate cause for alarm. Just, I, I would love to know, like, what is the like, definition of a sport hunt in the state of Washington and does that definition take into account those people birds would be a terrible example but elk certainly you know that becomes a a pretty big knock off the grocery bill um, particularly when you have access to an easy elk right right Um, and are those families, those individuals being taken into account when we throw that word sport hunt around? Right.
2: Well, I guess the the, the difference I see, I, I don't think we have any really working definitions of what is sport hunting or recreational hunting versus the alternative. And the way I look at it is that, you know, we had a sort of a big conversation around, um, disputes around the use recreational hunting. Well, you could look at it two ways. One, recreational hunting is just basically doing it for the fun of it and it's sustainable. You get other benefits like meat in your freezer. You can take your family out and enjoy the the, the opportunity and, and being out in nature. That's all good. Um, the, the difference I think between, and you can use, rec the the difference is that you can have a hunt that's meant to address specific management needs. So for example, you have elk that are damaging crops nearby, you know, hay fields and such like that. So you have a special hunt that addresses that management need. You use sport hunters, recreational hunters to achieve a management objective. But, you know, a lot of lot of hunting is not specifically designed to achieve a, a management objective. So for like deer and elk, you know, we estimate the population, we estimate what the what the allowable harvest could be. We Allow hunters to go out there and and harvest those animals our management in that case is not really addressing some specific thing like crop damage or you know timber damage with bears or anything like that it's just allowing people to go out and have a have a hunt to do what they like so that's to me is the essential difference between just a sport hunt and one a hunt that achieves management objectives it's not to say that you you, you, can, you can use sport hunting to achieve management objectives, but what is the primary focus of it?
0: I, I mean, I don't uh, disagree with that. The, I guess the issue comes up, right, in, in this broader social narrative where you have people who associate hunting with the food aspect. And that yeah. 80% of support largely focuses on that. And then you have people who focus on hunting from the sport aspect and it is not associated with food and it can be spun in a million different ways with the end result being we don't want people to hunt
2: furry and cute animals. No, I think, I think people going out and, and hunting for, for meat or for just the enjoyment of doing it, those are all good things. You know, one final thing that I'd like to say is we, the commission has put up this uh, policy, a conservation policy, and it's been puzzling to me why it's so controversial because basically it um, basically focuses on what our mandate is. And um, I think it could have been written better so that people can read that and see themselves in there as a conservationist. So, you know, every group that I talk to, hunters, non-hunters, everybody says, well, we're conservationists and we're working on a revision of this conservation policy and hopefully when people read it they'll see themselves in there as a you know that we're not forgetting about them the tribes the hunters the non-hunters everybody and i think the value of this is that we're all interested in wildlife hunters non-hunters lots of people have a passion for wildlife right we all have different approaches to you know, what that passion means to us and how we how we uh, satisfy it. But I think we can all agree that we we want to have wildlife as part of our life and we want to have it sustain it and into the future. And I think this conservation policy in my mind is one thing that we can agree on all the different people that, yeah, conservation is, is our goal. We approach it in different ways. Hunters approach it one way, the tribes approach it one way, the non-hunters, the bird watchers approach it another way. But we're all interested in conservation because that's the basis of sustaining the wildlife that we know and love. So that's just my take on this conservation policy. And I hope that hunters can get behind it because I think if we can't agree on that, it's going to be hard to do anything. You know, We're going to be fighting all the time, but I'd like to see one thing that we agree on
0: it's rare to find somebody who really likes to hunt anything and, uh, they want to see less of it. So to jump back to one of the things that you said at the very beginning is you haven't heard a lot from hunters. What is, you know, the best way for the hunting community to effectively engage with the Washington state game commission?
2: Well, I, I, think, um, You know, they certainly can come and um, either uh, and give input online uh, at the meetings or attend the meetings. And we get a lot of people that do that. You know, a few months ago when we had it in Seattle, I I just I kind of went off the rails a little bit, you know, and and as a result of sort of challenging the people that were there, the hunters, basically, that's when I said, well, I, I never hear from you guys. You never call me to talk with me you complain that I talked to all these other people, but they call me or they send me a note and say, can we have a Zoom call with you guys, the Sierra Club or Washington Wildlife First or whatever. So sure, I'll talk with anybody. So as a result of that, a number of them, you know, they, I talked to them afterwards and they, they sent me emails and say, hey, can we have a Zoom call? Just doing exactly what I'm doing with you today. So I think the best way to contact me is to send a message to the commission or you can send a, a message to me. Uh, John at DFW.WA.CO, and um, ask about having a conversation just like you guys did. And um, sure, I'm willing to do that whenever.
0: I mean, that that really is the the bulk of the the sentiment, right? It's um, there's some real fear, and I think legitimate in some ways, of an erosion of the ability of of hunters and hunters' families to go out and hunt like they have for ever. Yeah. Um, and you have a, uh, certainly from a Montana kids perspective of a state like Washington, I'd really love to see you uh, fix all of it and make sure hunters are happy there because they keep coming over here.
2: The thing about Washington is we have the second highest population of, of the Western states and the smallest state area. So we have a pretty high density of people. And so we have more challenges than Montana and Idaho in terms of managing wildlife populations, managing growth of, you know, the human population and their footprint. So we'll try and fix it. We'd like to keep them all stay at home, but,
0: uh, well, I'm going to come over there in December and participate in, uh, the late archery, uh, cow elk hunt on the coast for, but we're trying to specifically target,
2: uh, animals with hoof disease. Oh yeah. Yeah. Good. See, there's a hunt with a management perspective, you know, solving a problem, using recreational hunters. I mean, that's I, I totally agree with that. If we have a management objective and we can use hunters, let's use hunters instead of paying somebody to to go out and shoot animals, wildlife services or whoever. so. All right, okay. well, thank you very much,
0: and uh, have a great uh, rest of your season. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to write in to A-S-K-C-A-L, that's askcal at themeateater.com and let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods. We really appreciate it. Would love to hear your thoughts on the recent interview and so much more. On top of that, go to www.steeldealers.com to find a local knowledgeable steel dealer near you. They're going to get you set up with what you need and they won't try to send you home with what you don't. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next week. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on Seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. That's seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui